to crack. Everything is not about the people you read about. It's about the God in the people that God is working. His spirit is moving. His son is doing the work. You read about it, and it's not about us. It's about him. Every story written, it has always been about him. It will always be about him. Amen. All right, so let's get ready to read Joshua Chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that, it may be, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me give you just a very brief background on this. Moses, of course, is the deliverer of the Israelites. We read through the book of Exodus how Moses was uh, someone who was very timid, didn't speak well, had all kinds of excuses, sound familiar, of why God can't use them. But God said, go. And Moses went. And now through all of Moses' life, he is now some 80 years old as this is happening. Wow. 80 years old when he confronted Pharaoh. If you think you're too old to do something, better throw that one away. (laughs) God always has something to do with us, even no matter what our age. So in the background here, we know, of course, the burning bush experience with Moses, and Moses had that experience with God, and then he gives them the miraculous signs, the signs of the rod and the signs of his hand becoming leprous and healed again, the sign of the the, the blood on the ground. And he does not only that, but then as he confronts Pharaoh, he does the ten plagues. 
there were some incredible things. You read about the life of Moses. God worked in him like no one else. The plagues were incredible. And through every plague, of course, we know that Pharaoh's heart grew harder. Till the last plague that God placed upon the Egyptians, the taking away of the firstborn. And even then, after that, they get to the Red Sea. Sure death with all of the army of Egypt following after them. And God says, put the rod in the water. And the Red Sea parts. And they walk across on dry ground. The fact that it was dry is another miracle. (laughs) And then, of course, we know that the whole Egyptian army was swallowed up in the Red Sea. If that weren't enough, then of course they're going at what should have been a two to three week trip at the most turned into 40 years. Obedience and following the Lord is important. How important it is. But even through the wandering of the wilderness, God in his uh, allowing them to wander was faithful to them. Even there, providing manna and quail all the time. Bread and quail. If you really look at it, it, in the translation, it means they said, what is it? (laughs) They couldn't, but it was from the hand of the Lord is what it was. God literally sustained them for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their food didn't wear out. Nothing wore out. May I tell you that God is faithful to not only the people of Israel, he is faithful to his church. And even through transition, God will continue to be God. Then in Deuteronomy 34.10, the statement is made, about Moses saying that he, no one was like him. Unless we take, uh, we need to take note at this. Our human flesh is peculiar. Although we look at the stories of the Bible, and there is no question that it's God who's the hero, yet we find Bible heroes that we want to pattern our life after other than God. Shame on us. The the book of Ephesians chapter 5 says, be imitators of God. Hallelujah. I don't want to pattern my life after anyone except him, praise the Lord. So in the scripture itself, it says that we ought to be looking to him. I believe fully that is why God buried Moses, not the Israelites. They didn't need one more God to lay before and say, oh, we wish we had him. Do you hear me? Now, I will tell you, Jill and I are not dead, praise the Lord. (laughs) But God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. And he was speaking in verse number two. Let's look there. He's speaking to Joshua, and he says, the the pattern here is, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And he makes it clear, I am. Does that sound familiar? What did he say to Moses? I am. How are they going to enter the promised land? I am. Not by Joshua. By I am. By God. God is the one. 
oh, they certainly gasp when they thought, well, Moses is dead, now what? But let me tell you about something, a pattern of God. Very quickly, very quickly, a mechanic, how foolish it would be, a, a wonderful person that had been given talent to work on a car. You all know that's not me, okay? <laughs> but a credible talent, and, and the mechanic takes a particular tool because there's been something he's been meticulously working on for many, many hours. And all of a sudden, he takes that tool and he lays it down. How foolish and ridiculous it would be of that tool to jump up and say how wonderful he was and how he fixed the car. And when the master picks up another tool and says, now there is something new that needs to happen to the engine, and I can't use the same tool that I did before. How ridiculous for us not to understand. It has nothing to do with the tool. It's the master mechanic. Amen? Leaders change. God does not. The Lord will always be chief shepherd eternal of his church. Interesting, as Jill and I were uh, obviously going through the human part of letting go and, and, and remembering what God had done and all that we have seen and experienced together, I thought it was awesome. One of the things that Jill and I talked about, about three weeks ago maybe, we said, you know, one of the things we're going to miss the most, and I hope you guys will enjoy this, Pastor Dave and Patty, you get to experience some of the most glorious sunsets in all of Camas right from your backyard. It is incredible. And we've said, you know, that's one thing we're going to miss. We are going to miss those. I mean, sometimes they're absolutely breathtaking, and I do not think it was by coincidence that on Thursday I'm driving in to the parsonage and I, I do not remember the sun being so brilliant as I saw on that Thursday. It was large. It was a huge red ball. It was just magnificent and it was setting and it made me recall a story that Jill and I also were talking about. Because, see, for us, it's a season. And the, the setting of the sun is happening on us. But let me explain. Don't be sad. <laughs> because with every sunset, there's the promise of the sunrise. Hallelujah. Every time the sun sets, God is faithful. And as sure as it sets in the west, it will rise in the east. And so just as I remembered uh, a time, and Jill mentioned it to me, remember when we were flying to Spain, I think it was, and we were coming in and they were flying us way next to, toward Greenland, Iceland. And we realized in the midst of a span of about 15 to 20 minutes, we experienced the sunset while we experienced the sunrise. <laughs> It was the most incredible experience I'd ever seen. What an analogy here. Understand that 
even for us. God has got a sunrise for us as we step out. As the sun is setting here, God is going to continue. He's constant, hallelujah. And may I say, the sun is rising on Pastor Dave and Patty. His anointing will rest on him because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So verse number five says, I am my presence. My presence will go with you. Verse number five. It says, my presence. Let's read it here. And this will be out of the MEV. No man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you. God is constant. This is the last part I want to talk about before I turn this over to your new lead, Pastor Dave. We have a problem with these two words, constant and static. There was a time when the church thought holiness was static, that it was holy to hold on to a method for 50 years, thinking that they were going to hold out till Jesus comes. If God's nailing your hide to the barn, he'll hear me. God never works through methods. He may choose at a point to use a tool, a method. Methods are many. They're not sacred. But we confuse the word consistency with static. Let me tell you what static means. Static means lacking in movement, action, or change. How many of you know none of those describe our God? <laughs> Not one of them. In fact, Jesus said in John, verse, John chapter 5, verse 17, my father's always working and I'm working. He never stops. He's always doing something new, something different. In fact, and I think the part for me at least, if you relate to this, man, if I think I've found a method, I'll run it into the ground till the horse is dead. If I think I've found a system, why? Because God wants your reliance on him, not the system. Our eyes are to be on him. Hallelujah. All right, so consistent means this, steady, faithful, stable, unchanging in nature. That's different than not doing something new. <laughs> God is the God of the new. God is the God of the new wine. Hallelujah. And God is getting and fixing, if you'll allow me to use that word, to bust loose and do something here at North Lake. I am telling you, I have prayed, and this verse is burning on my heart. Ephesians 3, verse number 20. God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or imagine. And if you look at this passage of Scripture, 
and you look at, I'm getting ready to pass it off to Pastor Dave to take you further in this passage. That's exactly what's happening. God is getting ready to take this church forward for the glory and the kingdom of God. God bless you, North Lake. You will forever be in our hearts. You are our family. Jill and I have been honored to have led you these past 16 years. And I now humbly, graciously pass this off to your lead pastor, Pastor Dave and Patty. God bless you. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Let's stand for our pastor. Hallelujah. 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 Tremendous delivery of God's word this morning. Amazing to me um, as I sit and listen for you. Um, hearing uh, the presentation of God's word and it's coming to you and you're receiving it. Uh, for me, I'm amazed at what God is doing in the spirit and how in really uh, just in a rudimentary way, uh, uh, Pastor Brian and I covered this passage and, and parceled out who gets what, but it's, it's just kind of the bones of it. But it's amazing to me how the flesh of what he said uh, coincides very strongly with the flesh of what the Lord laid on my heart to say without us really conferring uh, with each other. As Pastor Brian points out, the first, the first truth that we see in this passage is found in verse 2, Moses my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. God's promise to deliver the land into the possession of his people uh, hasn't changed a whit. It hasn't changed a tiny bit. Uh, the mortality of Moses overtook him at the age of 120. Uh, he... he uh, he finally uh, went on to his eternal reward, and it says uh, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Uh, that's what I thought about Brian this morning. Wow. Woo! Uh, sweating and pacing and go going at it with all of his strength and his might. Hallelujah. His eye undimmed and his vigor unabated, and he's going on to the next thing that God has for he and Jill uh, God's plan continues, and God doesn't miss a beat. Uh, there's something about this, uh, the, the directness of the Lord. Uh, how many have noticed the Lord doesn't beat around the bush? <laughs> Moses, my servant, is dead. Bang. It's time, it's time for a new thing. It's time to move on. As, as uh, Pastor Brian noted, they're not dead. Praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> But this, in fact, is the, next, is the next phase. The next thing I want to bring out is found in verses 3 and 4. It says, every place 
that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. I asked that this slide be shown. There are different renderings you can find of the promised land. Uh, as, you, as you search, different people have different ideas. But basically, this is what you're looking at when you look at the promised land as it's described. And you can see uh, it marked out in blue according to the way the Lord is describing it. And then you have the, the modern-day political map. And so the promised land, most of us think the promised land, and we have this kind of, uh, this kind of category in our mind that it's, it's modern-day Israel. Modern-day Israel is the promised land. The promised land, as God describes it, encompasses, as you can see, all of modern-day Israel, all of modern-day Lebanon, all of modern-day Jordan, and then portions, large portions of Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, all of Kuwait, and uh, even a little bit of Turkey. This is a, a massive area. Now, I, I don't want to dwell so much on that particular aspect, but I do want to bring out this truth for us to take into our spirit today. The promised land is far greater than you have imagined. God's purposes for your life are far greater. Exactly what Pastor Brian was saying, Ephesians 3.20. God is able and desires and plans to do far beyond all we can ask or even imagine. In the furthest reaches of our comprehension, we cannot fully grasp the plans that he has for us in this life and ultimately unto eternity. And I, I wanted to bring up that graphic because most people just haven't thought about it. They say the promised land and they immediately just think uh, this, this, this limited area. I, I'm, I just got back from Ecuador and we're planning a trip with a, a large church there to go to Israel and to go to Greece, kind of a combined Holy Land Paul tour. And it was very interesting. One of the people there who are going on the trip said to me, you know, Pastor, speaking in Spanish, saying, vamos a ir a la tierra prometida. La tierra prometida is the promised land. We're going to go to that promised land. For him, in his mind, the promised land was Israel. But, I mean, the proper response, if, if you're going to be, you know, kind of a nerd, um, which I could be prone, never, never, could be, well, which part of the tierra prometida? Are we going to go to Jordan? Are we going to go to Iraq? Are we going to go to Turkey? Are we going to go to Egypt? All of that is part. But that, that's not the point that, that, that I want to focus on. I want I want to, I want let that map impact you that probably you haven't thought about the promised land in those terms. And in the same way, that's a natural illustration of a deep and profound spiritual truth. God has great and mighty plans. The borders of his plan for you are far beyond what you have thought. 
if we define ourselves, this is one of the reasons I'm going to tell you right now, get ready to pray. Because we are going to be a bunch of praying maniacs. Why do we pray? Why do we pray daily? Why do we seek the Lord? Why do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? I'll tell you why. People who don't pray, who don't have a consistent living encounter with Jesus every day, start to live on memories. They start to remember that one time they had a spiritual encounter. They start to think back to that one moment when they were walking with the Lord. And then their spiritual life becomes a, a, a string of cliches. It becomes yesterday's manna. It gets worms in it. And it doesn't work for today's challenges. That's why we have to, we have to walk close, tight, passionate with Jesus daily. Then our eyes begin to open. You know, I was thinking about this, this passage. The potential for promise. What came with the promised land? Grapes, clusters of grapes so big that they had to be carried on a pole between two men. The potential is so vast, but only the eyes of faith can see it. This has to do with spiritual perception, not eyes in the natural that can look at a map on a screen. This has to do with eyes of the heart that can see, that can perceive, that can receive. You know, I think about the, I think about the passage of the story in 2 Kings chapter 13, where you have uh, the story of Elisha, the prophet. And he's on, his, he's on his deathbed. It says he was sick with the illness by which he was going to pass away. He was old. It was his time. But in his, la in his last moments, there's this young king, King Joash. And, and, and he was weeping for Elijah. Uh, excuse me, Elisha. He was weeping for Elisha. He said, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He knew that, that God and his glory was coming to take, to take him to heaven. Not like Elijah, his, his, uh, his predecessor, but, but in the sense of carrying his soul to be with the Lord. And he wept. And Elisha didn't have any time for sentiment. Has, has anybody noticed that? God is the least sentimental one that you're going to run into. You're like, oh, and God's like, okay, wait, let's, let's get down to business. There's souls to be saved. There's territory to be conquered. There's miracles to be worked. God is filled with love and power and passion and emotion, but not sentiment. He's got very little use for sentiment. Elisha wasn't sentimental, and he said, he said, Take your bow, take an arrow, put it in the bow, shoot the arrow. And he said, now take the cluster of arrows and strike the ground. And Joash struck the ground one, two, three times, and then he stopped. And Elisha, old man, on his deathbed, got mad. I mean, you almost want to say, he was saying to it, look, I'm the old guy. I'm on my deathbed, and I've got, use a good Jewish word here, I've got more chutzpah than you do. You should, you should have been on it five or six times, and then you would have wiped out Syria. And as it is, now, you, now, now you're only going to be able to beat him back a little bit. Faith is aggressive. God's faith, born of the Spirit, is aggressive. Human faith, religious faith, is maudlin. It's cliché. It's sentimental. It's, it's tepid. 
God's faith that he births in us is fiery and takes the land. It's eyes of faith. It's the different spirit that Joshua and Caleb had that set them apart from the other ten. What happened to the other ten? Does anybody, can anybody name any of their names? Nobody remembers them. Why isn't, why isn't the, the book of Joshua named after some other guy? I'll tell you why we're preaching out of the book of Joshua. Because Joshua had a different spirit. Joshua had eyes to see. He said, yeah, they're big and they're, their walls are tall and we got all these different things. But, but we're bigger. Our God's bigger. We can do it. We can certainly take the land. He had eyes to see. Joshua is a book of miracles. Eyes of faith to see, see miracles. It's not just the perimeters of the land according to the letter of the law. You know, look, yes, they took the land. Joshua is the book where they walked through the Jordan on dry land. The Jordan was parted, stopped, backed all the way up to Adam. Joshua is the book where the, the Jordan parts, where the walls come tumbling down and the sun stands still in the sky. That's, that's the book of Joshua. But you know, I want to speak to us about something. Greatest, I woke up early this morning and I was praying and I felt like the Lord was opening things up. And I, I saw it for the first time and I'm a missionary a soul winner. I'm a street witnesser. The greatest miracle that struck me in the book of Joshua is from the very first verses of the book. Joshua sends in two spies to spy out the land and a prostitute comes to faith in God. A prostitute, a Canaanite prostitute named Rahab comes to faith in the one true God. And if you want to know what happened to Rahab, she's the great, great grandmother of David. She's in the lineage of the king of kings. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 1. She is our spiritual great grandma. That's who Rahab is. That's the miracle. That is the miracle. The miracle, yes, God did all these tremendous miracles that people, wow, the, 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 the Jordan parted. Just like the Red Sea parted for Moses, the Jordan parted for Joshua. Wow, that's incredible. Wow. Shout. He's giving you the city. Then the, down come the walls. Sun, stand still. And moon in the valley of Agilon. And, and God listened to the voice of a man. And the sun stood still so that God could carry out his vengeance on his enemies. Tremendous, tremendous. But in the midst of it, there's this quiet story about this godless woman. You know, I want to tell you how scandalous that is. God's grace is so scandalous that there have actually been translators that have tried to obscure the fact that Rahab was a prostitute. They've tried to make, oh, well, she was, a, she was an innkeeper. Yes, it was a very interesting inn that she kept. But God's grace overwhelmed that. God's grace 
did a mighty work. Eyes of faith to see. Impossible. Impossible for the sun to stand still. I'll tell you what's more impossible. For God to turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. But God does it. He does it by the power of his spirit. And he's going to do it in this community. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, shout. Shout. He's given us the city. Hallelujah. The last point I want to bring up is this, verses 6 through 9. And I want, to, I want to read these. I want to read these verses again. It says, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right. Uh, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Notice, notice what he, he calls, he calls uh, meditation. He says meditate on it. The book of the law won't depart from your mouth. That's how you meditate. You meditate by reading the word, by speaking the word. So your own hear, ears are hearing it. You memorize the word. You, you stay in the word. You saturate. And, then, and, and that's how you do all that's in according. For then you will make your way prosperous, then, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now here's, here's a paradox, and here's a tension. What's tension? Tension is like, is that element in a tightrope that makes you able to walk it. If there's no, if it's too loose, it can't hold you up. If it's too tight, it doesn't have give and you can't go across. Tension is that, is that balance. There's a tension in this, in this, in this passage. And the tension is between, on the one hand, the covenant promise delivered on oath to the forefathers. That's one end. That's one peg on one end. God promised. God promised to Abraham. Read read Genesis. He promised Abraham, and then he said it again, and then he said it again. And when Abraham's time came, then Isaac came. He gave it to him again. He repeated it to Isaac. And then Jacob came. He repeated it again. This is a promise Delivered by oath to the patriarchs that this land will be yours. That's one peg. But the other peg is this, obedience. Obedience, my brothers and sisters, is how we appropriate the promise. The promise, it, this, is, this is tricky. Some people just simply reduce it and they just say, well, the promise is conditional. Right, the, in, the promise isn't conditional in the sense, in the final sense, because the, the generation of Moses failed. They didn't go into the land, and God didn't say, oh, it was conditional. The whole thing's revoked because you guys blew it. God didn't revoke it. He just kicked the can down the road. Right, the whole thing, the whole thing remained absolutely in force. So it's not that the promise is conditional. It's just that its blessings are conditional pertaining to us. 
we appropriate through obedience. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about the obedience that comes by faith. Faith is the eyes to see. We already talked about that. Faith is the understanding of something birthed in us that enables us to perceive the greatness of what God has for us. In order to see the promised land such as it is, to be able to see the scope in front of us, at least to perceive like, wow, this is big. It's bigger than, than, than I've been able to see. And, and, and we walk into it by faith and bit by bit he opens it up to us. Because sometimes it's just so big that he knows we're going to be overwhelmed if he shows it to us all at once. So he shows, how many know what I'm talking about? So he just shows, he, he lets it unfold, but you gotta, you got to understand that it's bigger in order to, to comprehend its, its beauties. But that faith is connected deeply with obedience. We must posture ourselves in obedience. Uh, an attitude in a, an inner disposition in the spirit toward obedience. Obedience of the word of God. Now, let me, let me tell you what, what I believe this isn't. What this isn't is this sort of point A to point B thing. Here's the command, there's obedience, and I pull the lever, and then I appropriate like there's always this sort of series of basic commands or I have my list of do's and don'ts. I talked about this sometime. I talked about this last don'ts. And if I, if I do the do and I don't do the don't, then, you know, I've, it's like a slot machine. I've pulled and out comes the jackpot and, and there I've appropriated. That is a very simplistic, spiritually immature understanding of it and we're not going to take the land with that we might be able to maintain but we're not going to conquer any ground with it how are we going to conquer we're going to conquer by becoming disciples of the Lord obedience is a comprehensive posture of our whole life listen to the word he says, this book of the law is never to depart from your mouth. Meditate therein, day and night. It's something that saturates our life from top to bottom. I want to tell you, I say this gently, but I don't think we've gotten this Jesus thing. And a lot of it has to do with an inferiority complex that's caused by sin. It's not psychological, it's spiritual. And everybody deals with it. We don't believe how deeply he loves us. Same passage, Ephesians, Ephesians 3. Same passage, same lead-in. What, what does the Apostle Paul pray? He says, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How many want to be filled with all the fullness of God? It can't be done to God's satisfaction and to live up to the price paid on the cross without the power of God. We need God's power 
working in us, saturating us, that we might grasp how much he loves us. And as that dawns upon us, this rising of the sun that Pastor Brian was talking about, as this dawns upon us, where we begin to grasp how profoundly he loves us, how completely he's redeemed us, how absolutely he's forgiven us, as we grasp that, then we can begin to walk in this deeper truth. Then we, begin, we can begin to dare to, to, to walk in the discipline that he has for us. And, and then we're not doing this sort of superficial practice of things. It's not, that, it's not that people live that way aren't saved. It's just the deeper fruit bearing that he has and this sort of synergy that, that God wants to bring about in the family of God where we're working together and we're humming like a top and we're working as, as the people of God as he's intended. That can't happen until we walk in discipline. Now listen, the promised land was taken by violence. Read, read, read Joshua. It's a tough book for a lot of people, but there's a spiritual truth in it. We're not going to be able to take the land. Not the land individually that God has for each of us and not the land that God has collectively for North Lake. We're not going to be able to take the land unless we do violence to ourselves. And I'm not talking about physical violence. I'm talking about the type of thing when Jesus said, hey, look, if your right hand causes you to sin, some people have misunderstood that. And there have been some tra actual tragic cases where people have physically done damage to themselves. And guess what? They're as much in trouble with sin as they ever were because Jesus was, was using an Aramaic illustration and he was saying you've got to do violence to yourself. There's certain things that, that your inner man and, and, the, and that root of unredeemed part of your soul that isn't turned over and surrendered yet, you're going to bring it and you're going to cause it to surrender. The core word of disciple is discipline. We want to bring ourselves to a place of discipline. We've got to conquer ourselves so that we can conquer the land. It's just got to be done. This is the purpose that God has for us. This is the whole thing. The idea of, of obedience is not just this point A to point B thing. This, the idea of obedience is, is, for us to, is for us to saturate ourselves in the word of God, saturate ourselves in prayer, love each other, forgive each other deeply. Be defined by that love to the point of saying, you know what? I've got to surrender. I've got to lay these things down. Anybody who's forgiven, agree. I'm not talking about somebody cuts you off or bumps into you or something. I'm talking a life-level offense. Anybody who's ever really worked through a life-level offense and actually forgiven knows what it is to do violence to themselves. Knows what it is. It's, it's not a self-hating thing. It's the opposite of that. It's a yielding. It's this deep, profound, inner yielding of our, of our self and our will to the purposes of God. When we bring ourselves to that place of surrender and yieldedness where Jesus is what we think of when we get up in the morning, Jesus is what we think of the last thing when we lay our head on the, on the pillow at night, and we let our life be defined by the crucified one. Then we take the land. God has a purpose, saints. God has a purpose. To go back to the very beginning, <laughs> mortal human leadership 
changes. These are the plans that God has for his people rolling from generation to generation. These are the purposes he has. These are the purposes that he has for this church. I want to invite Pastor Brian and Jill to come up here on the platform. I'd like to invite my wife, Patty, to come as well. With the board members, please come. With their wives as well, ladies. Praise be to God. I want to enter into a time of prayer. And Pastor, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yield the floor to you. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Powerful, powerful, powerful message, North Lake. We are ready, and we are going to take the land for the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I want us to pray over your lead pastor, Pastor Dave, his beautiful wife, Patty. They are your pastors, and we are going to pray over them. We, I, I, I am already praying and interesting that he should mention Elisha, because as I got ready to pray, I, am, I know what I'm praying. I am praying every gift, every talent that God has given them, that he would multiply into a double portion, and that his spirit would rest so heavy on them that... Again, when people come by here, it's not going to be about the music. It's not going to be about the worship. It's not going to be about people. They will say the presence of the Lord is here. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name. God, right now, I thank you for your servants. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that dwells in them. God, I pray every gifting, every talent that you've given them, multiply in a double portion, I pray. Father, may you far exceedingly abundantly above what they can ask or imagine, bless them. God, may your hand be upon this church. God, move in them. God, loose your spirit, I pray. God, we thank you. We pray your anointing like never before. God, I thank you. You have called them to such a time as this. This is your timing, God. This is your plan. This is just like your plan that Pastor Dave talked about we say yes Lord and we agree with you and we give you praise in Jesus name hallelujah would you give the Lord a praise clap hallelujah